You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from our guest speaker. All right, so if you don't know me, my name is Lucas. I'm the worship leader here. And um, we're going to be talking about something that I'm really passionate about, uh, my job. Uh, (laughs) We're going to be talking about worship. And uh, the reason I think worship is so vital to to get a grasp and an understanding on is because any church you go to, they'll be doing it some way, shape, or form. It is a part of every church. It's a part of every church. So it's important that we understand the why. Because if you don't understand the why, you just see a bunch of sitting down and standing up and some people raising their hands, some people crying. What's wrong with them? You know what I mean? We need to understand the why. It's so important to understand because worship is what we're called to do. Worship is all it's about. Worship is what we are called to do. It's the reason we were created. Worship is the reason that we were created. I want to start tonight by reading from 2 Chronicles uh, 20, 20. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, I think that's how it's pronounced. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. When they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, and who had come against Judah so that they were routed. So just to recap, this guy is going into battle, and he says, you know what I need? Some singers. Now, you probably can't tell from looking at me, but I've got no military background at all. (laughs) Like none. But if I were in charge of picking out who was going to go fight a battle, some, you know, emotional musicians probably wouldn't be my first choice. <laughs> Verse 15, he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus say uh, the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. The battle's not yours, it's God. And if worship worship isn't an essential part of your life, you'll be fighting battles that you weren't meant to fight. You'll be fighting battles that you weren't meant to fight. And the reason is because in worship, you take your eyes off your problem and you fix your gaze on the problem solver. You take yourself out of the equation. You're, You're not supposed to be fighting those battles. In worship, you take your eyes off the giant and focus on the giant slayer. Does that make sense? In Ephesians, we're told to put on the full armor of God. And the only offensive piece of the armor is the sword of the Spirit. The only offensive piece, the only thing you can do damage with, is the sword of the Spirit. Worship is one of the best ways to encounter the Spirit. In Psalms 22, it says, He inhabits the praises of His people. In Psalms 100, it says, We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Worship is the place you go to encounter the Spirit. Does that make sense? The title of my message is Offensive Worship. I wanted to talk about 
offensive worship because a lot of times as Christians, if we're not careful, we only worship on the defense. We only worship once something's happened. My life's falling apart. That's when we see, that's when we're like, God, I need a miracle, man. (laughs) But we don't worship on the offense, but the battle's not ours. The battle doesn't belong to us. We have to worship on the offense. In the first scripture we read, it said that Jehoshaphat sent the worshipers before the army. Before the army. We have to treat worship as a first response and not a last resort. Treat worship as a first response, not a last resort. But unfortunately, I see all too often people press into worship only when they need something. God, I need you to help me get through this. I don't know how I'm going to make it. When we go into worship only when you need something, you are going in the mindset of what can you do for me? Instead of God, what can I offer you? We get our mindset completely backwards. What can you do for me? I need this from you. Instead of what can I bring to the feet of Jesus? How can I bless you, Lord? That's the question we have to ask in worship. How can I bless you? And there's nothing wrong with turning to God when you're struggling. You know, obviously, 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. This might be uh, not surprising to very many people, but in 2020, when COVID hit, anxiety, reports of anxiety shot up 25% across the globe. Shut up, 25%. And there's a study that actually shows that anxiety and gratitude cannot coexist in the brain. Anxiety and gratitude cannot live in the same brain at the same time. What would it look like if God's worshipers just lived in a state of constant gratitude for what he's already done? Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The only time you have a moment with him is when you need something. You're, treat- you're not treating him like a god. You're treating him like a genie. I need this. Big man, I need this. Help, help you boy out. Worship is about bringing something reverent before the one who deserves it. We have to make sure that we're chasing after who he is and not what he gives. Chase after his hands, chase after his face. We can't have a transactional approach towards the Lord. Anyone in a relationship? Anyone want to be in a relationship? (laughs) That don't work. (laughs) You can't, you don't love someone because of what they do for you. You love them because who they are. It, It doesn't work. Ephesians 5 says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. He laid his life down for That's what love looks like. Love looks a lot like dying. Love looks a lot like dying. It doesn't look like, I will give you this if you give me that. But that's how we treat worship. He deserves worship for what he's already done. But more importantly, he deserves worship because of who he is. He deserves worship because who he is. So the question is, what does true worship look like? What is worship? And this is how I view worship. Worship is to acknowledge the presence of God. Simple. Textbook. 
<laughs> worship is to acknowledge the presence of, presence of God. Worship is an act of putting yourself in a position of submission. Not my will, but yours be done. Yeah. Right? Worship should cost you something. Worship should cost. Too often we go into worship because of how it makes us feel. But if that's our mindset, I got to ask the question, who are you worshiping? If you're going into worship because how it makes you feel, who are you worshiping? Worship should cost something. Genesis 4, uh, it's one of the first times we see the word worship in the Bible. And it's the story of, uh, no, I'm sorry, it's not. <laughs> Strike that. Genesis 4, this is the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of the time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel brought an offering of fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on, Cain's, uh, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Why are you surprised by this? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain's sacrifice was rejected because it didn't cost him anything. Abel's was looked favorably because it cost him something. It was the best that he had. And far too often I see people come into worship that, isn't, that aren't offering their best. We're not offering our best, and myself included. What does your worship cost? The first time we see the word worship, that's where I thought I was earlier, in the Bible was Genesis 22. The backstory: it's uh, Abraham, okay? And he's been promised to, give, to have a son, and he's like, yo, I'm way too old for this. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, old. <laughs> I can't be having a son at 100 years old. That's old. <laughs> Verse 22 says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him. Isaac was the sign of God's faithfulness. Isaac wasn't just, I mean, being someone's son alone, that's, that's something, right? But Isaac was the sign of God's faithfulness promised coming to fruition. Does that make sense? On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back. Now, Bethel wasn't playing over there, okay? Hillsong wasn't playing over there. There wasn't a worship night. He said this knowing full well what he had been given, the task he had been given to, to seek out, to sacrifice his son. That's what Abraham said was worship. It cost him something. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Worship is not about the music. It's about the heart. It's not about the music. It's about the heart. God will do more with an obedient heart than he ever will do with a talented voice. 
doesn't matter how good someone sounds or how, what high note they can hit, it will never break chains off of somebody. It's the anointing that breaks the chains. Abraham was showing honor to God by having an obedient heart. Worship is a sacrifice. It's not for us. Now, I believe he gives us things in worship. When we meet with him, you know, he obviously gives us stuff, but it is for him. It is for lifting his name high because he is worthy of it. It's not about the music or the lights or the set that day. It's not about being seen or heard by the person next to you. Worship is about being seen by the Father. Worship is about being seen by the Father. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. Worship is not a moment. It's a lifestyle. Worship is not just whenever you get the chills when Brandon's shredding on guitar because he can do that. (laughs) Worship is a lifestyle. A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Your time in worship can't just be on Sundays and Wednesdays. Worship is intimacy. The biggest change I've seen in my life is whenever I valued my time alone in worship. Whenever I decided to put an importance on that, to spend time just me and God, because the songs you sing in the secret place are just as important as the song you sing on stage. If you commit yourself to worshiping, not just whenever the conditions are perfect, you will know the Lord in new ways because that's intimacy. You're learning intimacy. If you want to hear the Lord, you've got to listen to him, right? Worship is intimacy. The most intimate moments need to be in private, but our worship lights need to be so passionate that they spill out. Brandon Lake, worship leader I really like, he says, uh, when we withhold nothing from God, God withholds nothing from us. When we withhold nothing from God, he withholds nothing from us. In Luke 7, we see an example of what worship should look like. Afterwards, a Jewish religious leader named Simon asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. When he went to Simon's house, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets known all to be a prostitute. When she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religious leaders and knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with tears and fell, on, fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. And over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. Then she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume. Sometimes in the Bible, there are titles over passages. So like Genesis 1, it would be like the creation or something. I don't know. <laughs> but over this passage, it says extravagant worship. This is extravagant worship. This woman came with all that she had. She brought something that was dear and valuable, valuable to her that cost her something. She was a woman of the streets. So how she earned that, it cost her something. Does that make sense? And she poured it all in the feet of Jesus. 
And that's extravagant worship. Worship isn't about singing. It's about washing his feet with our tears. It's about breaking our alabaster and it's about drying his feet with our hair. Worship should cost us something. When Simon saw what was happening, he thought, this man can't be a true prophet. If he really were a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman would be touching him. The title of my message is Offensive Worship. Offensive Worship. Because true worship will always offend a religious spirit. True worship will always offend a religious spirit. If you get offended by how someone else worships, that might be a you thing. <laughs> I'm not saying it is. Might be. <laughs> I'm just saying, ask yourself why. Why is this offending me? Because you might be confusing offense with conviction. Simon was offended when he should have been convicted. I think about David dancing before the Lord. In 2 Samuel 6, people mocked him and were disgusted with David, but his response was, yes, and I'm willing to look more foolish than this. I'm even willing to look humiliated in my own eyes. It cost him something, and it offended the religious spirit. This might be my most important point. Worship isn't about you. I don't like this song. It's too loud in here. Why are they on the stage? Quote Josh, God bless you. <laughs> or Tim. <laughs> I need one for you, Paul. <laughs> Worship is not about you. It's about what you bring to the Lord. We have to be more ready to enter into worship than we are to be distracted. Don't come to worship wanting to be entertained. Come wanting to exalt Jesus. This is all, this, this is one of those things that is simple, but it's sometimes difficult. You know what I mean? It's hard to, it's hard to keep our, our thoughts right. It's hard to keep our thoughts right. In a perfect world, if someone's up here hitting some sour notes, it's not gonna prevent me from worshiping Jesus, but I am just a man, right? In a perfect world, but... Being distracted is a choice. Being distracted is a choice. I spent a lot of time talking about what worship isn't. I want to talk, take some time to talk about what it is. Why do we worship the way we do? We raise our hands, we pray, we kneel, we jump, we shout. Why? Why? Because I think understanding the why is the only way to really commit yourself to it. Right, Because if you don't, you're just going through the motions. Why am I doing this? It's important to understand the why. If you go through the motions like everyone else does, your heart's not in it. And like we've talked about already, your heart being in it is the most important thing. It's all about the heart. Worship is solely about the heart. For many of us, the idea of singing out loud in front of a crowd might make us uncomfortable. Well, if, if it didn't, you'd probably be on the stage. <laughs> Right? And there's more of y'all than there is of us. <laughs> Good. Great. Are you willing to look foolish? 
Are you willing to look more foolish than this? Like David said. Are you willing to sacrifice your comfort zone to bring him something that costs you? Are you willing to look more foolish than this? Man. It shows him that we value him more than we do our comfort zone. It shows him that we value him more than we do our reputation. First Chronicles 16, 23 to 25 says, Sing to the Lord all of the earth, not singers, not the guitar players. <laughs> Sing to the Lord all of the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For, the, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Nehemiah 8, 6, and Ezra blessed the land, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting their hands and bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. There's a reason. We're not, no one's trying to look more holy than, than you guys. We're not trying to look one up each other spiritually. You know what I'm saying? We, we've got to almost put out everything else around us. Because the only person that we care about seeing us is the Lord. Does that make sense? When we lift our hands, it puts us in a posture of submission or surrender. Somebody had a gun. Hands up. Because I'm not a threat. Right? And when we put our hands up in worship, we're saying, Lord, I surrender to you. I give you all that I have. I surrender to your will. What do you want me to do? What can I, what can I remove from my life? What do you need from me? Does that make sense? When we get on our knees, we're in the presence of the king of kings. And you bow before royalty. There, this is my basic way of looking at worship. If Jesus walked in the room and we all knew it was him during one of our worship songs, would how you worship change? Because if it would, we're not doing it right. Right? Because... Matthew 18, 20 says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Not the idea of him, not the concept of him, but there he is. But what about when you don't feel like worshiping? I don't feel like it. Hmm. Another... <laughs> Worship does not center around how you feel. It centers around the one who is worthy. Man, I love, I love hearing some of the teachers uh, at Christian ministries when students say, I don't feel like it. Well, Jesus didn't feel like getting on the cross. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think about Paul and Silas. They were arrested for being faithful to God's call. And when they were thrown in chains, what was their response? It was with worship. Paul and Silas were thrown in chains because of being faithful to the Lord. And I'm sure they didn't feel like it. I've never been arrested. But <laughs> worship being my first response might be a, a tall order. <laughs> but they were faithful. And they knew that it wasn't a last resort, it was a first response, worship. 
And worship is what broke the chains that were holding them. John 4, 24 says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We worship him for the one simple fact and it's because he is worthy. Not for what he's, we hope he does. Not for what he's done even. Because he's worthy of it. Because of who he is. He deserves all of the honor and glory because of who he is. But what if we feel like we're unworthy of worshiping? That's tough. That's a tough one. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the, prodigal, the parable of the prodigal son. And one of the most powerful, in my opinion, verses. It says, but while he was still a long way off. Whoo! But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and he kissed him. While he was a long way off. Man. You know, we see, we we talked about earlier, the, the reference we saw for extravagant worship was a prostitute. And I don't think that's just a coincidence. There is no sin, there's no mess up that you can do that, that is too big for God's grace or too strong for God's love. Don't let your insecurity keep you from his presence. He is worthy if you don't feel like it. He's worthy if you screamed at your kids on the way to, to church. He's worthy. And Regardless of, of what I'm going through, it does not, my situation does not determine his worthiness. Does that make sense? He is worthy of all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. It's so cool. It's so cool that, you know, if you just think about it, step back and think about it. We come in here and we sing and he meets with us. How crazy is that? That even if you are in a prodigal season, he meets with you. He's enthroned on your praise. Man, if that don't get you fired up, your wood's wet. Got all three. Did y'all get something out of this? Y'all stand up. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for this, uh, this time in your presence, Lord, and this time in, uh, in word and worship, Father. We ask that as we go out, Lord, that you just get all the honor and glory through our lives, Lord, that we worship you in spirit and truth, and that our lives be living sacrifices to you. We love you. We honor you. We worship you. And everybody said, Amen. all right. Y'all have a great week. See you guys. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.